Hello and welcome to Talking HE. My name is Anthony Vassant. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Brooke Carlson, a lecturer in Mass Communication and Language and Composition at Colorado Mesa University. We discuss a number of topics, including what happened to college education in the United States during the pandemic, asynchronous teaching, diverse curricula, and much more. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, my name is Brooke Carlson. I teach at Colorado Mesa University. Uh, I teach in the Languages, Literature, and Mass Communication Department. And largely what I teach is rhetoric and composition, and then literature and Shakespeare. Thanks, Brooke, for joining us on Talking HE. What's been your approach to pedagogy in the last term? Oh, boy, so there's a a big question there. And I want to start by thinking about um, what the question might ask. So what's your approach to pedagogy this term? For me is a question that asks, am I willing to change and how? And I think that starts by if I just look backwards in retrospect that, you know, we this has been happening across decades, change in higher education and and this question of how do we how do we do what we do and do it well. Um, But in the spring of 2020, we had a shift online near the end of that term because of the pandemic. And then in fall of 2020, we had um, a start online and, and I was teaching in Hawaii at this time. And we went in the fall of 2020 into the spring of 2021. I was teaching in a humanities department where we were teaching via a flex model. And so in that flex model, we were teaching both synchronous and asynchronous at the same time in communities where uh, we had very few. I had very few students in class and then some students online and then some students sort of here and there and nowhere. Uh, so it was a, a flex model is a tough model to teach. Um, and then uh, in the fall, and then I moved. And so I moved from Hawaii to Colorado. And in the fall uh, of 2021, still in the pandemic, uh, we had a masked term. And then in the spring now, we've had uh, masked and then a sort of return to normalcy. And so what I'm looking at is two and a half you know, including this one, I'm looking at two and a half years of a new world, a pandemic, possibly endemic world. Um, and that's asked me to change what I what I do in the classroom and what I do as a faculty and what I do as an instructor and as a teacher. And of course, again, that's on top of decades of change, namely adjunctification amidst rising costs to attend college and increasing administrative presence, moving more towards higher education as a business. And therefore, we as faculty are finding ourselves in a space of real difficulty. That space of difficulty includes higher numbers of students disappearing. That's a lack of presence and a lack of engagement, Um, new technologies and new working conditions. So again, when you ask, what's your approach to pedagogy this term? I think the question really is, you know, am I willing to do something different? And what is that? What am I willing to do? So. I teach in rhetoric and composition, I teach in literature, and I teach uh, Shakespeare. Um, The first thing I say would would suggest is is a space of change for me is that uh, 
we use a, a, a learning, an LMS, a learning management system, and the one we use here happens to be D2L. But the first thing I've done uh, in this past year is I've dropped all those bells and whistles with the dates and the penalties and the observe and punish. You know, mm -hmm. the bells and whistles that go off yeah. when you when you put dates and times and and all of that stuff results in stuff that for me, I think, makes students really struggle emotionally at a time when we're looking at, I think, probably the highest emotional struggle in the college population, you know, ever. Um, mm. And so it's really important that I think about my, my, my students and emotional health as we move through the learning com communities that I create. So I took away those deadlines uh, that, that create all the bells and whistles digitally. Now, the deadlines, of course, are indicated within my LMS in every assignment, and I have um, a couple of spaces in which I'll talk about that and how that works. And I want to mm. just share right off the bat that part of what I'm, what I'm moving towards and part of the way that I see my pedagogy changing has been largely because of the ungrading movement and the way by which people in, in rhetoric and composition really are, are really working on a focus that is about learning rather than grades and yeah. and how if we step away from grading uh, then maybe we can move towards dialogic active centered learning communities and experiences and that that's a that's a big plus i think and so there's a lot of research on that and i won't go into and and, and, and spend time with that but you know it's out there and you all know that um, and so my space has been largely a bit about creating digital spaces wherein we're working both synchrony and, and asynchronously across these semesters, which is to say um, at my university, and again, everybody's different, and I think you all, ex of course, are experiencing different things in the UK. Uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of administrative clarity on things like attendance. So, for example, because there's unclear attendance policies, um, my attendance policy is that students do not there's no penalty for attendance i think the the positive the reward of attendance is engagement <laughs> and i think that's also learning uh, mm. my experience with students who don't attend class who only show up online is that very few of those succeed that's not impossible but that very few of those students succeed so in this past uh semester and and our current semester Again, that numbers, you know, several who, who have been successful that way. The students who are succeeding are the students who are who are attending class. And then, of course, there are a number of students and I'm seeing high numbers of this, high numbers of students who aren't showing up, who aren't aren't doing anything. Um, and that's, I think, a continued presence of the pandemic and possibly endemic living in the world. What do we do about that? Again, that goes back to pedagogy. So. My pedagogy involves a number of things. One of the things is that um, every week I'm asking students to do things. And this is again about active centered learning that I, I, I hash that space out into three in triplicate. So every week at the end of the week by midnight on Sunday, students are to submit uh, mobile learning work and that uses free public apps, Twitter and Instagram for me. Uh, and then a discussion post and then a human thread discussion post. And a human thread discussion post is designated as a video engagement. So I usually, the qualifiers for those posts are time and images. So I'll say, you know, in 45 seconds, share how your skills around research and writing have developed over the course of the experience. Uh, mm -hmm. And you must include at least two images. And so those constraints, the image and the time, 
uh, are helped to shape those responses. But those human thread discussions are spaces wherein students can see each other in a human way. Again, this goes back to the idea of in a pandemic, how might we you know, be a little bit more human, even though oftentimes we're being asked to, to be human in digital spaces. Mm. And this is an attempt to help us better build and strengthen and fortify that human presence in the digital space as a learning community. That's the regular weekly production space uh, for, for my pedagogy, be it both in rhetoric and composition and in literature and in Shakespeare classes. And then on top of that, I do some stuff that involves, you know, projects and bigger, bigger work. Uh, I, I just want to share about assessment in that space, too. And so that weekly work, the mobile learning, the discussion, the human thread discussion is what I call low stakes assessment, which means that students do that work and they earn all the credit. They don't do the work there. There's no credit earned. So um, it's a space in which if you make mistakes, you're not being punished for, for making those mistakes. Uh, I suppose the danger is if you don't do anything, then obviously nothing happens. And the projects and papers, those are spaces wherein that work is, is uh, qualitatively assessed and, and quantitatively assessed on a 10 point scale. And so there's a greater there's a greater feedback there, which I think is important in those projects. And that's a higher stakes assessment. And what do your students make of, of your your pedagogical approach, you know, in terms of how they you know engage and how they perceive it? Sometimes there's a um, Sometimes there are students who who are who are not so excited about regular work. And then there are students who are who are pretty excited about that space and students who say, well, you know, in the digit in, in the humanities or in literature or in English, I don't normally do this kind of thing. I, you know, I just do those four papers or five papers or two papers or, <laughs> you know, and, and I and I do those on my schedule and, you know, I just submit them and, you know, that's it it's easy like what's going on here <laughs> and and so there's there's a bit of resistance in in that regard um and i always kind of chuckle uh, around that in part because um i mean that that has largely been my experience you know over time was that i went into you know literature and language classes and literature classes in particular where uh yeah you read and then you had great discussions maybe uh and you had a lot of lectures from from faculty and you know, then you'd submit papers and and it was a pretty closed experience. The papers would go to the professor. I'd get feedback from the professor. Sometimes the professor, professor would write in pencil in a, a hand that was impossible to read. And so, you know, I'd have to go see that professor and, and talk to that professor if I really wanted to get feedback. And 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 there's that whole whole pedagogical history. And my goal is not to replicate that for my students, but to do something something different. And so the active centered pedagogy is really important and that's why I do that that weekly work um, some interesting comments I've had actually come from students because I'm because I'm moving through the essential learning curriculum in my university I'm teaching students of all different kinds of disciplines who are largely you know in the beginnings of that trajectory and or middle somewhere and so we're, we're moving through that essential learning or the gen ed um, and so I've had some interesting comments from students who come from STEM and, you know, some science and engineering and mathematics. And those students seem more hip to regular work like that. They seem more um, familiar with that kind of regular work model, uh, which which surprised me a little bit. Um, but it, but I hear that pretty regularly. And so that's uh, that's the, that's part of the response, I think, from from students. I think the question you asked is a really important one. Um, 
I wish I could get the I wish I could get feedback from those students who are disappearing because I don't know what's going on there. And I don't know if the, if the same experience is happening in the UK, but we have again lots of students who um, who who are ghosting, who are just disappearing. And and boy, I thought, you know, I think we'd all want to hear why and what's going on. And I don't know that we could we certainly can't solve those problems without getting any of that feedback, but um, it would help a lot if we could get that feedback. What do you see as the future of this model in the next two to three years? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, there are a couple, couple of things. I think uh, uh, I, saw, I saw a great tweet by Tim Fonz, um, and, and he teaches over at, uh, in the UK at the University of Edinburgh. Mm. Uh, so he's in Scotland. Um, but, but he had a, a really interesting treat, uh, tweet on asynchronic pe pedagogy. And so I think first and foremost, um, that asynchronic, the combination of asynchronic and synchronic, um, which, I mean, it's, it's funny, I guess, you know, since the real emergence of the internet around 2000, that we now have these two worlds in which we live at the same time. Um, that, that's a, it still kind of blows my mind just when I think about it. But uh, but for pedagogy, uh, I think it provides really fantastic space for learning because we have space wherein uh, students can do work on their own time and there's a record of it and we can engage across time in ways that I just think are fantastic, especially for um, for textual and for for thinking experiences which is a large part of what I teach in both rhetoric and composition and also in terms of literature. Mm. And so, so that's, a, that's a beautiful space. And so I, I see that as certainly a continued space for me to work in. Um, I have real concerns about the digital space and its advent under capitalism and what that means for me to use, say, platforms like Twitter and Instagram um, in ways that students are then, you know, being mined and, and, and their data is being wielded for financial success for a minority of, of you know, I don't know, it just gets crazy. Uh, and so I have concerns a, a, about, about that space and I'm always on the lookout for better digital alternatives to Instagram and Twitter. Um, and some of the, the problems with that space involve equity and transparency. Uh, transparency. And, and so when I move into some others, I lose some of the equity and transparency. And then of course I, I would gain um, mm. not being a part of that capitalist system that is that is wholly uh, exploiting us, the users. And, and so it's a it's a balance. How do I find that balance? I, I struggle with that. Um, so I'll be continuing to look at that as I move forward in the future and how I wield that asynchronic space with a, a synchronic experience that is a regular assembling of, of bodies in a classroom of sorts um, throughout a semester, throughout a, a 15 week period for us. Um, and that also means that within that synchronic space, I do a lot of, um, again, active centered experiences where I'm asking students to do things. We do a lot. We do a lot of thinking and writing in collaborative documents in that classroom. Um, mm. And and we'll be moving through uh, some examples that are effective from those students who are working within those mobile learning spaces and discussion spaces and human threat discussion spaces. And the reason I mention that is only because um, when I when I first started to make these shifts and make these moves, which again we're looking at really two and a half three years back, um, although I'd been using Twitter and Instagram for more like five and six years, 
in terms of my pedagogy. But but for the discussion and the human thread discussion for those spaces, um, I realized that part of my impetus for seeing all of the student work there goes back to a kind of grading that I've got to take a look at those things and then, you know, give that low stakes assessment. Not all my students have that push <laughs> because, yeah. you know, they're just trying to check the box and get the work done. Uh, and so one of the things I've noticed is that students, I, I encourage students, of course, to go back and engage with each other there. And sometimes that happens, but more often than not, it doesn't that students don't engage each other there because they're struggling with, you know, work and family and classes and all the stuff that they're struggling with in this new pandemic endemic world. And so um, one of the things I do in that synchronic space is go back to and say, oh, by the way, did you see, you know, Caitlin's tweet or did you see uh, Colin's Instagram or did you see um, Janelle's discussion post and and look at those and engage that space so we can see and students can see uh, some successful models of how they might be doing that same thing when chances are maybe they're not able to take the time and go through all of their peers' responses over the course of each and every week. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's an important thing that I'm doing in that in that synchronic space. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that's really important as I move forward, and, and I haven't really spoken about this yet, but um, open educational resources are a really important space for us to, to move, um, I think, in terms of the the fact that we are now in a digitized you know, world. Uh, and so I noticed, for example, with the advent of the, the pandemic that all of my student work is submitted online. That you cannot, per, you cannot be a, a student in college today in, in my learning communities with, without moving through those digital spaces which I feel uncomfortable about in the sense that economically, I think there are some, there are some um, downfalls to that. That I think mm -hmm. a with a lesser machine, a student who's just using a phone and has to go to the library computers uh, or to the, com to the computers, you know, wherever they might be across campus. Uh, I think there are some difficulties that are raised there that make that, make that work somewhat more challenging for the student. And, and that's mm -hmm. not, you know, I, I want to make it as equitable and transparent and productive for everybody. So I have some concerns about about that as I move forward. From your experiences, you know, looking at the UK and US responses to the pandemic, you know, what would you say um, were the similarities and differences with regards to, you know, college education, higher education? You know that that's that's a, a a tough a tough question in the sense that one I have not I have not studied in the UK, uh, and so I haven't I don't have much experience there. I've taught uh, in South Korea, I've taught in Hawaii, and, and 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 now teach here in Colorado. And of course, my experiences in as an undergraduate were here in, in America, in Maine, and then California, um, and so I'm I'm less cognizant of that. But the space where I suppose I do see that is more through that mobile learning space that I'm on a lot, and that's Twitter. Uh, and I've seen, for example, lots of strikes in the UK in this past year um, and lots of concern and much greater, it seems to me, much greater engagement with the um, struggles of faculty and mm -hmm. inequity in, in higher education. And those those are the those are the problems that I that I tried to maybe outline as the things that are on underneath the pandemic shift that we've had in the past two and a half years. And mm -hmm. those are things that have been happening across decades that um, 
that seem to be really pushing us in in into space of 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 difficulty and and arguably not success. Um, and, and again, I think this is where your question is really important. How is that different? Um, well, it's different in. I'm going to make a big leap here, but it's different perhaps in the sense that you know we had a, a we have had a, a a big result of that uh, of these changes in higher education has been a growing distrust of of higher education as elite and and manipulative and and not of the common person and we can see that kind of stuff showing up i think easily in our 2016 presidential election and the experience of president trump and what's gone down there and of course in the uk mm-hmm. had a similar experience sort of post uh and a little bit behind that but but that's really a historical discussion uh in a different different space but but I, I think the UK, there's been more action, as you asked. I think there's been more effort to sort of move and address some of those changes that are happening around, around faculty and, and instruction and equity. Um, and I would hope that we here in the States would uh, maybe move in similar lines, like unionization. Any final thoughts, Brooke? Uh, you know, an important part of the change, too. Uh, I didn't, I spoke really a lot to um, to rhetoric and composition, but both in literature and, and in Shakespeare that I teach, a really important part of the shift, and this is not, this is not specifically um, in reference to the pandemic, um, but a big push for me in those spaces, again, in, in, so I teach a mythology class, and we start with Homer, and then we read some adaptations and appropriations of, of the Iliad and the Odyssey and, and the Aeneid. And so we look at people like um, Derek Walcott's Almoros and Pat Barker's The Silence of the Girls and Madeline Miller's um, The Song of Achilles. And, and there are other texts that I'm, that I'm bringing into that, into that space, but that's also an, an open educational resource um, trajectory for me that involves a grant and some different stuff. But, but an important part of that space involves decolonization of the syllabus, you know, involves questions of perspective and questions of, of access and equity and voice and equality uh, and questions of race and representation. And those are, are such important questions. Um, and so what that means for me is how can, I, how can I bring in writers who are people of color, writers who are not simply dead white men, to, to, to explore the case of being human, to note that being human is not simply a dead white male experience, but that it's a human experience enjoyed by people all across the globe of all different colors and kinds. And that grayness is, has nothing to do with, um, with white men, um, but that it's, it's of all kinds. And so that means for me in Shakespeare, we've seen a lot of work that's been done um, by a number of people, especially black scholars here who are, who are really saying, you know, the, the early modern period, the medieval period, those are not periods of whiteness that the alt-right and that that a population seems really interested in trying to suggest is perfect and and idyllic because of its whiteness, and that's a lie and false. And so we, we really have to push, and I say again, we as faculty, I think we really have to push uh, back against those notions and teach a, a, a much greater, uh, more varied and diverse curriculum. That's really mm. important. Um, yeah. And so for me, that shows up in text, you know, what, what do we read and how do we get at that? And then also, how can I share, and this is largely, I'm, I'm speaking for the teaching of undergraduates and not graduate students, but 
for the teaching of undergraduate students, though, to be able to see themselves in those writers is really important. That's a question of representation. But uh, also, I use uh, you know secondary criticism and literary theory and and introduce students, undergraduate students, to those experiences. And there too, it's really important that they get those readers and those writers who are who are people of color, and mm. that those people that that we engage that world in all its vibrancy and beauty. And so that's a big part uh, of the changes that have been happening around around my, my learning communities. And again, that's been a, a more recent thing, but not solely because of the pandemic. Also to me on Twitter, I think it was Dr. Dana Wessel Lightfoot. She teaches uh, in Canada and she talked about ungrading. She had a great tweet about the ungrading as a thread and, and ungrading in particular. And as I mentioned, I think a lot of the stuff that I do is, is you know about that trajectory toward ungrading and active learning and ways we can can really engage students as a process and a dialogue. And uh, one of the things that I found really interesting in that thread, and, and that's a thing that I've been experiencing myself, and I think a lot of faculty are experiencing too, especially those who are doing this sort of work, is the way by which, um, so when I, for example, create more flexibility without those fixed and rigid assignment dates, and without that need for attendance as a requirement, what that means for a lot of students is that for those professors who are doing that, they are going to have to focus on those classes along those timelines, along those deadlines, and place mine lower in the rank. So my class is going to take a secondary space because I have flexibility and, and greater freedom and, 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 and liberality in terms of assessment and work. And what that means then is students are going to exercise that. And one of the consequences for me is a human experience where like, oh, wait, where did everybody go? <laughs> uh, what's, what's happening here? Your work is late. And okay, well, yeah, I, I accept late work. That's the whole deal. That's the whole point of it. And so there's a, there's a bit of you know, cognitive dissonance. There's a bit of like um, just human emotional experience to the way that the semester moves and flows. And the fact that uh, I'm trying to be flexible and give space for students to, to move around those deadlines in ways that sometimes I look back at my own space and I'm like, oh, ouch, you know, what's going on here? Why aren't students submitting on time? And why aren't, you know, why am I not at center? And that's a, a, a thing that, and other people have talked about this a lot. Um, that's a, a, a space wherein we're rethinking maybe, you know, our faculty roles and our experiences and they're changing. Thank goodness. You know, we're transforming, mm. we're learning, we're changing. And mm. that's really what it's all about. But that's a human emotional experience for faculty and solidarity to, to those that are out there doing that, because I think it's it's hard. It's hard. I want to offer a quick plug for you in the past couple of episodes. You know, that conversation with Jenny Blake around libraries and student learners and workers was fascinating. And that was a great experience. And I think libraries are such a wonderful place for, for universities and so often under underemployed, underused. Um, and then also, and this was a recent one that you did with Tab Betts, but that focus on collaboration, active learning and equity is huge. And so that kind of work is fantastic. I'm excited to hear that stuff. Thank you. Thanks a lot for your uh, um, praise and comments. Um, I'm sure our listeners will be um, thrilled to hear that. And Jenny and Tab as well. Um, if you're listening to this, then um, you know, yeah, I'm a fan in, uh, in Colorado. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. You're welcome. Thank you to Dr. Brooke Carlson for his time. Coming up next time on Talking HE, 
We speak to Dr. Jana Javonik, an Associate Professor in Work and Employment Relations at the University of Leeds. Jana has also worked as Director General of Higher Education in the Republic of Slovenia's Ministry of Education. A preview coming up. Uh, so I'm Jana Javornik. Uh, I'm a former Director General of Higher Education, uh, currently an academic at Leeds University up in Yorkshire. I think this really has to do with the with the pandemic and the magic 2020 year 2020, which, as I've said, um, revealed a huge deal about the state of higher education in Europe. And I think that institutions that have long touted themselves as being student first um, have shown that even during a pandemic, tuition, finances, cash inflow uh, really matter far more than the well-being of the community um, and the I think the pandemic has really revealed the challenges that the sector has faced for decades now, I think, both in terms of, of working relations, um, both in terms of quality of, of uh, higher education provision, uh, in terms of innovation, in terms of pedagogy, in terms of how well staff, academic staff are trained, uh, where students actually or student provision actually sits in terms or compared to research, the questions of prestige, hierarchy, elite, so that really opened up the Pandora box in terms of the flexibility, availability, accessibility, quality of higher education uh, provision. All that and more in the next episode of Talking HE. Thanks for listening. Got a comment, question, or would like to take part in a future episode? Then tweet at TalkingHEPod or email santanu at santanuvasant.com. Until the next time. I've been Santini Vassant, and this has been Talking HE.